your sheets yet in the back there, Daniel 2. Continuing our study here through the book of Daniel. Now, Daniel chapter 2 is a long chapter, 49 verses. We're going to break this up into two weeks. The first half of this, we're going to hopefully, Lord willing, time willing, do the first 30 verses tonight. And if we can get through that, they'll put us in good shape for next week. Next week is all about prophecy. Many people have said if you only study one chapter of prophecy in the Bible, Daniel 2 is that book to do it. As we've mentioned before in our study here in Daniel, half of Daniel is narrative, the other half of Daniel is prophetic. And this is a great example of that. Half this chapter is narrative, the other half is prophecy. Beautiful thing about a Wednesday night is we can take some time, chew on these prophecies a little bit, where we wouldn't have that time or ability to be able to do that on Sunday. So with that being said, we're going to do the first 30 verses here, and then we'll do verses 31 through 49 hopefully next week. Real quick review if you weren't with us a couple weeks ago when we started our study in Daniel. Daniel is a good Jewish boy that when the Babylons come, and they go ahead and defeat Jerusalem. They take him back as a captive, as a prisoner. He's probably a young boy at this age, probably in his mid to early teens. And they come back and they make him, they strip him of everything that is Jewish about him, his name, his language, his religion, everything about him. And they try to turn him into a good Babylonian servant. And part of the book of Daniel here is this godly man living in a very ungodly world. They may try to take his religion away from him, but he stays true to God, and that's part of the beautiful part about this. So if you weren't with us a couple weeks ago, I encourage you to go ahead and grab that first teaching there in Daniel 1, which sets the whole background of why Daniel, the Jewish guy, is in the middle of the Babylonian kingdom here. So without much further ado, verse 1 of Daniel chapter 2. It says, Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. And his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans. Remember, Chaldeans is another word for Babylonians. To tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I have a dream and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will give the interpretation here. Now let's just be honest. We've all struggled at night with sleep sometimes. It can be difficult. And especially it's tough when you don't want to go to sleep because maybe there's something troubling you, something vexing you, and it just really eats at you. What we can piece together here with Nebuchadnezzar, it's not that he had a bad dream. Look at the wording here in verse 2, excuse me, verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. In verse 3, I have had a dream. It looks like this dream is a rough dream for him, and it just keeps repeating itself again and again and again. Now, if you've ever been in that position before, you know how rough it is to lay there at night thinking the last thing I want to do is go to sleep. Because when I go to sleep, I'm going to have this dream again. My mind's going to go places I don't want it to go. It's a very helpless feeling when you're in sleep and dream. And this is what Nebuchadnezzar is dealing with. That word for troubled by this that we read in verse 1, it literally means to beat persistently. This guy had a good, had, had a good night's sleep and I don't know how long. And this dream just kept coming up and bothering him again and again and again. Finally, he had enough of this. Verse 2, he calls all the smart people he can think of. He calls the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, the wisdom of the Babylonians. And he says, I need help here. So what they say to him in verse 3, tell us the dream and we'll tell you what it means. Now, I like Nebuchadnezzar. If you know anything about Daniel here, and I'm going to get ahead of myself a little bit, in Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar gets saved. I mean, really gets saved. We will see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. Now, this is the same Nebuchadnezzar that was going to kill Daniel. This is the same Nebuchadnezzar that built the big statue and was going to throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Now, before we pick on him too much, let's just all be perfectly blunt. A lot of us have some Nebuchadnezzar stories in your life, and it took you a while to reach the point of coming to know Christ too. 
Now, hopefully you weren't killing people and threatening to throw them in furnaces, but you all had things you probably shouldn't have done. Nebuchadnezzar eventually comes around in chapter 4 and really comes to know God. There's no doubt about that. And so a lot of what you see here in Daniel chapter 2 is seed planting. God's preparing his heart. I was thinking about this. I mean, think back to you guys. How long did it take you to get saved? I remember I got saved my junior year in high school. I was 16 when I got saved. But I remember it was the first two years of high school. Jim Crager, who was a pastor out here at the time, he just kept planting seeds, planting seeds, and planting seeds. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful that for a couple years he really put prayer and effort into that. Well, what you see here with Nebuchadnezzar, God is working on his heart for years. Eventually in chapter 4, he comes around. So real quick, moms, grandmas, dads, grandpas, friends, brothers, sisters, whatever, if you have somebody really close to you in your life that is not walking with the Lord the way they should and you're about ready to give up on them, don't give up on them. They may be a Nebuchadnezzar. There's time yet for the Lord to still speak to their heart. Never give up on that. So he calls the wise men. Tell us the dream. We'll tell you the interpretation. I like his response. Verse 5. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, My decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretations, you shall be cut in pieces and your houses shall be made an ash heap. I like that. If I tell you the dream, you're just going to come up with an answer. He goes, You tell me the interpretation and also, by the way, you tell me the dream I had. If you're so smart, you tell me what I dreamed. Verse 6, however, if you, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. They answer again and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will give its interpretation. Verse 8, the king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time because you see that my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, for there is only one decree for you, for you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time is changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you give me its interpretation. He is firm on this. Obviously, Nebuchadnezzar was not a good guy when he did not get a good night's sleep. And so he was really ticked. He says, tell me the dream, and if you're blessed, you're rich. If you don't tell me the dream, you die. I'm telling you right now, if you think you've got a bad boss, it does not compare to this. Verse 10, Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such a thing of any magician, astrologer, or difficult. It, Chaldean, it is a difficult thing that the king requests, and there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this reason, the king was angry and very furious and gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out, and they began killing the wise men, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Wow. That's our introduction here. Now, we're going to stop right there at verse 13 for a little bit. Now, backtrack a little bit. If you look at your sheets here, verse 10 really hit me. There's not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. That's probably one of the most honest statements that anybody's ever made. There wasn't a man on earth that could do it. Daniel's going to do it here in the end of this chapter, but Daniel only does it through the power and strength of the Lord. I love, look at 1 Corinthians 1, 19 through 20 that we put down. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and to bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? 1 Corinthians 1, 19-20. It blows my mind when I see people walking with the Lord that when they reach a difficult decision in life, be it who to date, who to marry, where to live, where to move, what job to take, they resort back to the world for wisdom. I do not understand that. I do not get that. We have God that lives inside of us that we can approach any time we want, and we can say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And you know what? He answers. Turn, if you will, to James chapter 1. Now, some of you may be thinking you're simplifying this a little too much. It's not that simple. You don't just ask, and he just answers. It is. It, it works. It really works that easy. You ask, he answers. James chapter 1. James 1, 
Let's go and start here in verse 5. James 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. How simple of a verse is that? You need wisdom on whether you should take that job or not? Ask the Lord. You need wisdom whether you should sell or move or stay? Ask the Lord. You need wisdom with that promotion that they're offering? Ask the Lord. Is it that simple? It is that simple. You know what the hard part is? The hard part is us. We live in this McDonald's fast food society, so when I ask God for an answer, I want an answer just like that. I don't want to put time and effort into sitting and waiting and praying. And a lot of times when I ask God, I'm not really asking him. I'm just giving him a token little, Lord, you know there's this great opportunity coming up with a job. I pray that you give me wisdom what you want me to do with it. Thanks, goodbye. And really what I'm thinking is, wow, it's more money. It's better pay. It's this or that. I've already made the decision that I want it, so I'm just going to kind of quickly ask God and ask him to rubber stamp it. No. See, what you see right here, look here in verse 6. If you want the answer, what do you have to do? Verse 6, let him ask in faith with no doubting. You, you, you have to have this element of faith that I trust that when I pray, God hears and God answers. Now, how does he answer? He may answer through the word. He may answer through a message. He may answer through the body. He may answer through worship. I'll tell you right now, he's never answered audibly to me. But those are the ways he answers to me. I'll be reading in the Bible and it's like, right, there's my answer. I'll be talking to someone in the break at church. They say something, right? There's my answer. There's a worship song I hear. That's my answer. I ask in faith. He answers. Now, if I don't ask in faith, look at the end of verse 6. Let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. You've seen those waves. They go up, they go down. They go up, they go down. I've seen Christians like that. Oh, God is great. Oh, where's God? He doesn't care anymore. Oh, I love the Lord. Can I serve somewhere? Nope, not right now. My life is really tough. And it's just this constant up, down. I, I, they would have to be seasick Christians. It's just up and down, up and down, up and down. There's not this element of faith that God is going to get me through this. Verse 7, For not let that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Do you see what the Lord is saying there? He says, If you ask me for wisdom, but you really don't believe I can answer it, you're not going to get an answer. So when you say, Pastor, I prayed about this, and I never got an answer, did you ask in faith? Well, I mean, I prayed about it. I prayed for a good minute or two on it. I'm telling you right now, what we learn here in Daniel's book is that there's times where you have to pray weeks, if not months. I've shared this example with you numerous times. I'm not thinking of a specific person. It's just an ambiguous example that I've seen numerous times. Someone comes into the office. They're overwhelmed with the situation. We say, let's pray about it. And they walk out there on fire. I'm going to pray. I'm going to give this to the Lord. They come back the next week, and they're depressed and discouraged. Why? I prayed about it, and nothing changed. How, how, how much did you pray about it? I prayed a good day on it. No, I'm telling you right now, there's a lot more than one day. Prayer, the purpose of prayer, you've got to remember, prayer sometimes doesn't change the situation. Prayer changes the way you handle the situation. There's been numerous times in my Christian walk where the situation has not changed, but my attitude towards the situation changed. Have you ever had somebody who's really difficult to deal with, and you sit there and you just pray, Lord, soften them up. Lord, make them a nicer person. Lord, help them be better. They don't change, but for some reason I have more love and patience with them. Lord didn't change the situation. He changed the way I handled the situation. So what I'm saying here is if you want wisdom, you can run to the world. You can run to the astrologers, the sorcerers, the magicians, the Babylonians. You can run to all your best friends that are so smart. Or you can really stop and say, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? And then patiently wait in faith for his answer. Now, some of you may be saying, James, I have situations coming up. I don't have three weeks to wait for a prayer. This is why you are a man and woman of prayer 
daily because you never know when these situations are arising. So that way you're constantly praying, Lord, I don't know what today brings, but I pray that you give me wisdom for all situations that come this way. Lord, I don't know what's going to happen next week at work, but it looks like there could be some tough things coming, so I have no idea what it is. Give me guidance, give me wisdom, give me patience, and I trust that when that situation arises, you'll get me through it. That's the power of prayer. Now, let's take a quick little break here. Anybody got any quick questions, comments over the first 12, excuse me, first 13 verses that we've talked about here in Daniel chapter 2? David. Right. Right. And that's a great example there, what you just said. We're the child, he's the father. And obviously I got five boys at home, and there's elements of where you say that you just have to trust me that this is the right thing to do. This is the smart thing to do. And the same thing happens spiritually. We just have to have an element of where we trust the father. I mean, it is. It's a faith thing. You have to trust that God sees the bigger picture. He knows right from wrong, and he's going to guide and direct his child into where he or she needs to go. It's faith. If you don't trust God to make those decisions in life, when you pray, your prayers are going to be very empty because God's going to say, why would I answer a prayer where you don't even care what I really think or what I want? Anybody else have anything about this before we move on? Okay, let's look at, oh, sorry, Marcus. Okay. Because what happens here, there is from this point in the book of Daniel on for the next few chapters, it's actually written in Aramaic. Because what was happening is Aramaic was considered, um, just like if you would look at the world today, if you were in France, you were in Spain, there's still a lot of people that speak English. English is considered the business language of the world. Aramaic at this time is considered the business language of the world. So by writing it in Aramaic, it's really writing it in the language that most people would read and understand. That's why it's written there. It's kind of like when Jesus was on the cross, they put you know that title in the different languages up there so that way every tongue would be able to understand. Writing it in Aramaic here, when it was originally written, more people would be able to understand it rather than the original Hebrew. Daniel was actually living in a foreign country at this time. So writing it in Hebrew, well, he probably didn't speak much of any Hebrew at that time. He was a Babylonian living under Babylonian rules. So the idea of writing it in Hebrew really didn't make much sense at that time. So anybody else got anything before we go on? Okay, let's see what Daniel's response is. Verse 14, then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch. Now I have to stop here for a second. Verse 13, the decree went out and they began killing the wise men and they sought Daniel's companions to kill them. Now, if we have to stop right here. This is where the Bible sometimes just doesn't make sense. If you were up to verse 13 and you were writing a story about this and you were writing a movie about this, what would happen is Arioch would come in to take out Daniel and Daniel would jump behind the door, knife him, and then Daniel would get Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego together and they would overtake Babylon. There'd be this great revolt and there'd be this great fight. How does Daniel fight in verse 14? With counsel and wisdom. How boring is that? This, this guy fought back with wisdom. See, it amazes me when I see Christians today want to fight back like the world. You know what? You want to yell at me? Well, I'll yell at you. You do a good job putting a couple of profanities together. You wait till I put a couple of profanities together. I could scream louder than you. What happened to fighting back with wisdom and counsel? That's what Daniel does. So look at the picture here. Arioch knocks on Daniel's door. The assumption is Arioch has the king's guard with him. And they're getting ready to kill Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Guys, on your knees, hands behind your neck. Why are you doing this? There's no fight, verse 14. Then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain, the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. And I'm not preaching pacifism here. I'm not saying that in any way whatsoever. But look at the response, verse 16. So Daniel went and asked the king to give him time, and he might tell the king the interpretation. Wow. A verse that we've been saying a lot at our house, and I've been telling a lot of people, is Proverbs 15.1. A harsh word stirs up strife, 
but a kind word in due season, how good it is. We have all been here before in life. Somebody's getting tense, you're getting tense, they raise their voice, you raise your voice, and next thing you know, the whole thing goes downhill. A harsh word stirs up strife. But next thing you know, they're getting tense. If you respond in kindness and softness, it diffuses the situation. Married couples, one of you stay calm. It diffuses the situation. When you're at work and your coworker wants to pick a fight, it diffuses the situation. Daniel calmly goes to the king. Can you give me a little bit of time? And I'll give you your answer. That's wisdom. That's counsel. So look at Daniel's response. First point. He answered in wisdom. We're getting short here on time, so flip your sheets over. We're going to go through these quick. I just put these three Proverbs down. You want wisdom? Look how simple it is to get wisdom according to Proverbs. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. You want wisdom and knowledge? Fear the Lord. That word fear literally means have a healthy respect for. I respect God enough to go to him with my concerns, my problems, and wait for his answer. Proverbs 2.6, the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. If you have a lot of tough situations in life and you're really saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? Take Proverbs 2.6 and stick it on your fridge. The Lord gives wisdom. In Proverbs 21.30, there is no wisdom or understanding or counsel against the Lord. Now, I'm not opposed to saying that there's times to go to friends and family and say, hey, what do you think? My car the other day, Dawn got in to go to Bible study on Monday. She got in my car and my car wouldn't start. And it was kind of one of those funky situations where the, the um, radio would come on, the lights would come on, all that type of stuff, but it wouldn't turn over. And it didn't have that click, click, click like a dead battery. Now, I, I don't know anything about cars, but I'm a man, so I like to pretend I know things I don't know. So Dawn comes in. She says, your car won't start. And so I just go out, and I look at a couple of things, and I pop the hood. I don't even know what I'm looking at. I'm just popping the hood. Every time we buy a car, I always stop right in front of the salesman, I, and I, I tell Dawn to get in the vehicle. I say, start it up. And I pop the hood. And I just look in there, and the salesman usually comes over and says, what do you think? And I said, it looks good. I, have, I don't really have a clue. But I'm just I'm trying to make it look like I know what I'm doing. So Dawn, I, I pop the hood, I look at it, and I come to Dawn, and I say, uh, it's, it's the starter. The starter's not working. And she thinks I'm the greatest man in the world, so she just said, oh, James, you're wonderful and handsome and all that stuff. Actually, she said, no, call Rich. That's what she said. So I called Rich. Uh, Rich came over Tuesday morning. I told Rich, it's starter. He says, get in the car, start it up. I, starter, get in the car, car starts up. Just like that. He goes, it's not your starter. Um, it was, he told me what to do, fixed it, and everything along that type of line. The point is, there has to come the time when you need wisdom that you have to realize you don't know it. I, I've joked with you before. One of my favorite passages in Proverbs where the guy comes out, and I'm not misquoting this verse. He says, surely I am more stupid than any other man. There is wisdom in knowing what you don't know. Daniel knew that he did not know this dream. He, he knew it. He needed wisdom, and wisdom only came from the Lord. My point is, there is nothing wrong with going to friends and family. I'm glad Rich could come over and give a helpful hint. I'm appreciative of that. But at the same time, too, if you're seeking decisions in life, go to the Lord first and go to the Lord foremost. I cannot stress that too enough. I have met people that will just call 20 different people. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Why don't you ask the Lord? Why ask the Lord? I asked him first, but then I called my 20 friends and family. I'll throw his vote in with it. I will. No, ask the Lord first and foremost. What does Daniel do? Look at the next thing. He got people praying. Verse 17, then Daniel went to his house. He made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azar. Remember, that's the Hebrew's name for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. His companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning the secret, so that Daniel and his companions may not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. How simple and honest is this? Guys, we are going to die if we don't tell the king this interpretation. So let's get together and let's do the first thing, pray. 
I love the honesty of the Bible. They're not praying, Lord, reveal the dream to Nebuchadnezzar so that way he may come to know you. No, verse 18, reveal the dream so we don't die. There's nothing wrong with being honest of, Lord, I need help today to get me through this day because I'm really struggling. I was just talking to someone about prayer this week, and I said, I'm honest. I pray for myself more than any other person because I know what I'm struggling with. I need prayer. These guys are coming to the Lord, and they got people praying. So the first step, get wisdom from the Lord. Second step, get your friends and family praying for you. Next step, be patient. Look at verse 19. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. The reason I say be patient, it didn't happen right away. You know, obviously it was kind of fun tonight. Kay asked for prayer, surely has an answer. Okay, that's fun. The majority of prayers... They don't really work that quick. The majority of prayer is time spent with the Lord on your knees just giving your child over to God, giving the situation over to God. Because God sometimes says, listen, I'm going to allow this situation to drag on a little bit, not to hurt you, not to harm you, but to grow you into a stronger, better person. If I'm in a position where the prayer is not being answered very quickly, I have realized in my walk with the Lord that this is God's way of saying, James, I'm going to fine-tune you a little bit. So you and I are going to spend a lot of sleepless nights here together so that way you and I can just keep talking about this situation again and again and again. God gave them the prayer in the night vision. What's the first thing Daniel does when he gets the answered prayer? He gives God praise. So Daniel blessed the God of heavens, verse 19. Then Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and he gives knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with them. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might. You have made known to me what you have asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's demand. Just remember that. We spend so many times praying and praying and praying, and when we get an answered prayer, we're usually very quick just to say, Lord, thank you, and we move on. Have your prayer request list. Right beside your prayer request list, have a, have a praise list. And during your time of prayer with the Lord, give those concerns over to the Lord without a doubt, but don't be afraid to jump into that other list and say, Lord, I still remember a few months ago when you answered this prayer. Thank you for that. But I still remember when you moved that mountain. Thank you for that. There's a great praise right here. We're going to go through this quickly. We're running out of time. What he does next, verse 24, Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. I think 24 is, is very important here, and this is why. Daniel is confident in his answer. Confident. How, how is he confident? Because he sought the Lord, the Lord answered, and in faith he believes it. I have met a lot of Christians, myself included, where I'll come and say, Oh, I know what the Lord wants us to do. Oh, yeah, what's that? Well, I think he wants us to do. I mean, I'm pretty sure. I think this is where he's leading. Where's the confidence? I know what God wants us to do. Are you sure? Well, I thought I was sure until you questioned me, and now I need to go back and rethink about it. Daniel goes to Arioch, and he doesn't say, listen, Arioch, I hope I got this thing right. But if not, you're going to have to kill me. No, he says, get the king. You, you realize the importance of this. Daniel is calling for an ordinance with the king. Excuse me, an audience with the king. I want to talk to the king now because I have the answer. How could Daniel be so confident? Because he was a man of prayer. You want a further study on this? Go study the book of Nehemiah. That was a man of prayer that could confidently also go to the king and say, here's what God wants us to do. There is a confidence of when you, somebody says, I have prayed over this, I have sought the Lord over this, I know that this is where God wants us to go, and this is the direction we're moving. Wow, that's great. Daniel had that. Let's finish this up, verse 25. Then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king and said thus to him, 
I found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, remember that was his Babylonian name, are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen in its interpretation? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, the secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare this to the king, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. I love that. Who gets the glory, honor, and praise? God. There's not one bit of Daniel saying, well, you know, guess who did it? I did. I did it. No. God reveals. Verse 28. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days for your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were this. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while in your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what it would be. But as for me, the secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living, but for our sakes who make known the interpretation to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. Daniel says in verse 30, I didn't get this because I'm special. That's so important. I was just watching a program, and I know we're running out of time. I was watching a TV program the other day, and this person was, was, was uh, trying to think of a nice way to say this, and I can't. They were hawking a book. I mean, that's what they were doing. They were trying to sell this book, and they were talking about this book. And so the guy asked him, said, so what was about this book? And this gal says, well, I wrote this book, and I really felt like this was what the Lord wanted and so as I was finished the book and we we're getting ready to publish this book, I went to the Lord and I said, Lord, if this book is not of you, you let me know. I said, okay. And so then she says, that night Jesus himself appeared to me. And he says, because you have loved me so much, I've given you this book. And she made it sound like, look at what I am. And because I'm so special, God gives this to me. And that's what happens where a lot of Christians sit there and they say, well, why doesn't Jesus appear to me? Obviously, I don't love him enough. It's the same thing with the faith movement. You didn't get healed because you didn't have enough faith. You know what? God, you know the reason your life's falling apart? You must not be given enough money. You must not be reading enough. You must not be praying enough. Because look at me. I'm reading. I'm praying. I'm doing everything right, and look how great my life is. So obviously you must be doing something wrong. But we know from studying Job, Job really wasn't doing much wrong. God used that as an example. Daniel right here, I want to make this abundantly clear in verse 30. He comes out and says, I didn't get the revelation because of who I am. I got the revelation because God chose to use this time for his purposes. And what we'll get into from verse 31 on next week is what the prophecy was and how it still relates to us today. So we're a little after eight here, so we're a little uh, short on time. Anybody have any quick questions, comments about anything here before we close up with a word of prayer and we'll let you guys go? Nope. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and I pray that we would put into practice exactly what Daniel put into practice. When the trials and tribulations of life come, help us to seek you in prayer. Help us to respond in counsel and wisdom, not in anger and frustration. Lord, help us to praise you when you do answer, Lord. Lord, help us to praise you even when you don't answer. Lord, help us to just be confident in the calling you've given. And Lord, help us to constantly seek you in all that we say and all that we do. For you and your glory alone. We lift this up in your name. Amen. One last thing I forgot to mention.